Welcome to this fifth episode of our series on research and informed teaching. I'm Catherine Hobbs. In this podcast, we'll hear from two academics and a former student about the potentially life-changing role of a dissertation within a degree. Emma Whitecamp, co-director of the Science Communications Unit at UWE, hosts and is joined by Brodie Walker, a recent graduate who now works as a senior epidemiologist for Public Health England, and her former supervisor, Dr Emmanuel Adukwu, Deputy Head of Department in Applied Sciences at UWE. What should out for me in this podcast is the way that all the speakers describe the critical role of the supervisor in enabling a student to gain the skills and experience they need from a dissertation in order to achieve their future goals. Through understanding what the individual wants and needs to get out of a research project and being ambitious for them, the supervisor can guide and support them to achieve more than they ever thought possible. Being strategic about the ultimate aim is critical to success. Brodie's example of starting from the point of view that the undergraduate dissertation was a necessary but somewhat scary requirement in order to achieve her degree, to her current position in a job she clearly enjoys, which uses her skills to the full, as well as becoming a published researcher along the way, was inspiring. But it might not have happened without the thoughtful input Emmanuel provided as her supervisor. As a supervisor of student dissertations myself, I felt inspired by listening to this, and I hope the same will be true for any student at the start of this process. Thanks, Catherine. So this is Petya Petrava here, um, Associate Director of Academic Practice at the Academic Practice Directorate. It's really inspiring when you and I started talking about setting up this podcast. It's really inspiring how this episode really encapsulates the importance of research-informed teaching and research-informed learning. Um, I joked that the episode that I hosted, that that was my favorite episode, but I think this one is possibly now my favorite episode um, of this podcast. I agree with you. I think the discussion of what a supervisor's role is and how student-supervisor relationship can work to the benefit of the research project as well as the research skills of the student um, was quite inspiring. Indeed, I think this should be a recommended listen to any CPD we provide for the supervision process at this institution. At the heart of this discussion was what is the purpose of higher education and how through a higher education degree we can develop early career professionals. And I like that the discussion between the link between the dissertation and the link between employability is nuanced and contextualized in this podcast. We're not just talking about research being something separate that students do, or the dissertation is something as an add-on to the degree. And we are not simplifying employability into employability skills such as writing and speaking and being organized. We're actually talking about what is at the heart of professionals' practice and what is at the heart of an academic degree. And the word research comes into that. And it's important also that the the conversation Brody had with Emmanuel and Emma really showed the importance of research for the graduate and professional identity in relation to her chosen profession. So this podcast demonstrated to me how the university, the higher education experience, happens when we bridge the boundaries between our different areas of activity. 
whether it's research and teaching, whether it's it's studying for different modules and doing a dissertation, whether it's between dissertation and employability, dissertation and real life projects and, and problems. It was really so well explained and this was such a nice lived example. Now, in terms of literature around, well, research informed teaching, but also higher education in general, I'm not going to go into too much depth in, into that. Um, the, on, the, the one word that I haven't used, I've already captured key themes in kind of higher education enhancement, like research informed teaching, employability and such like. We often now talk about authentic assessments and about those assessments grounded in real life problems and challenges. And I think that's also the not necessarily the missing link, because here at UE we pursued that quite thoroughly, but it's an important component of students' education. And the only thing I'll say about that is we do not need to wait for the dissertation for that to take place. And we do not need to wait for the dissertation to allow students to have glimpses of research with a small r, and research activity with a small r, and also about solving and resolving real life problems that demonstrate to them what is to be a professional in their chosen field and allows them to demonstrate that in their future employment endeavors. Um, so I hope you all listen to this and I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I did. Hello and welcome to this podcast on research informed teaching. My name is Emma Wykamp and I'm co-director of the Science Communication Unit at the University of the West of England. I'm joined today by Dr. Emmanuel Adukwu and a former student of his, Brodie Walker. I'm Brodie. I studied both at undergraduate and postgraduate level within UA. Um, I did an undergraduate in biological sciences and then a master's in public health, both of which were very different, but I enjoyed equally for different reasons. And now I work as a senior epidemiologist for Public Health England. I've worked there for just over two years now, which is a little scary, as I'm not sure <laughs> where the last two years have gone. Um, but I'm really enjoying it. I started originally in a part-time post in the emergency response department, which sort of looks at pandemic preparedness and pandemic response. And uh, I suppose fortuitously for my career, but maybe not for anything else, there was a pandemic. Uh, which led to me progressing into sort of a more COVID-specific role. Thank you very much. And that really is, um, I don't know whether that is good timing or bad timing, as, as you say, but, uh, but you certainly were in the right place at the right time. <laughs> so I think it must have been hugely challenging to yeah. start such a job just before, you must have started just before the pandemic. You can, you know, rolling into it. So that must have been challenging. About three months. So it was definitely learning on the job, but a small silver lining to not a very good two years. It was a great career experience for me and I've learned a lot and I've had to learn fast in the last two years, which is, it's it's overall a good a good experience. Wow. I, I am impressed, I have to say. I'm really impressed to take on that sort of job at, at this point in time. Um, Emmanuel, would you like to briefly just introduce your role at UWE? Thanks, Emma. Um, I'm Emmanuel Aduku. I'm uh, de- the Deputy Head of Department for Applied Sciences and um, with, in my role, I, I do a lot of administrative work, but I also do uh, t- some teaching across the biology spectra. So microbiology, some around research methods and some in public health. 
Um, and I also lead research in a number of areas, including antimicrobial agents and some aspects of public health or global health within, with a focus around um, developing country context, Africa in particular as well. Um, and yeah, I, I enjoy working with students, supervising projects, which has sort of been uh, part of uh, the discussions that we've had, Emma, and also with Brody, which I'm hoping to share a bit more about today. Thank you very much. Brody, I'm going to start with you. And uh, you've mentioned already that you, you've studied at UWE as an undergraduate and as a postgraduate. Um, and I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the experiences that you had of, of doing research in both of those degrees and how that's maybe led you to be an epidemiologist. I suppose my first experience of proper research would have been during my BSc dissertation project, which I was fortunate enough to have Emmanuel as my supervisor. Um, I was actually recommended to Emmanuel by a previous student and I uh, <laughs> I think I remember sending Emmanuel quite a I don't know the word you'd use an email to state my case of why he should pick me um, <laughs> which I'm not sure whether was appreciated or expected but it worked one way or another so I think what I found interesting and refreshing about Emmanuel is he gives the students quite a lot of utility over what they want to look at and more importantly why they want to look at it so when you're given the dissertation project you're handed perhaps a list of titles or research areas but Emmanuel's was very open-ended I think it was sort of looking into um, either sort of his research in antimicrobials or sort of general public health and public health and sort of the idea of pre uh, prevention over intervention was something I was really interested in so we just sort of sat down and had a discussion about you know what I want to work in long term and how we could design a research project to really aid me in developing knowledge and skills in that area which I think ultimately led towards me uh, getting a job at Public Health England, having the right skills. One of the things that you're talking about there is the the really early part of um, research design, which is thinking about and designing the question. And it's something that I also really like to do with students. I don't necessarily want to say, here's a script, follow this. But actually to sort of go through and think about, you know, so how are we going to create, find the right question? And how are we going to find a question that's approachable that you can actually do uh, as an undergraduate or a postgraduate um, you know it's not too big because sometimes the students will come to you I'm sure Emmanuel you might want to touch on this talk, talk about this but they they come to you with a PhD proposal yeah typically <laughs> and then what do you do right so I'm going to hand over to you at that point Emmanuel what do you do when the question is 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 a PhD um I think you get different ends of the spectrum you get a question sometimes which is not fully formed into even for the final year project sometimes you get a very big idea and you can instantly spot that this is this is even bigger than a PhD and the student only has a few weeks to get the project done. But I think for me, my approach is as much as we can, universities should be to a student as an individual. So when you think about the student journey, it's an individual student journey. So as Brody described, one of the things we talked about, I think Brody might remember this, is what exactly do you want to do as your career? What is it that you would really enjoy doing? And I remember Brody saying something to me about she enjoys traveling. She wanted something that would give her the ability to be able to move, flexibility to be able to travel if she needs to go somewhere else. And it just happened that at that time, we'd come out from the Ebola, the Ebola pandemic. The Well, pandemic, it was a pandemic, yeah. We'd just come off from that at that point. And I thought, actually, since you're interested in a dissertation project, 
we can build a project that gives you that flexibility in terms of skill set. Because having taught with the MSc Public Health Program, a lot of the people within that program were already working within public health sectors, and you could see that mobility in their careers. And it's actually building that mobility into the thinking of what the project could look like. And what better to go for than something which is live, relevant, out there, the people are actually looking for solutions for. And that's how, with all the students I work with, if, they, if they're thinking about a career in the lab, and then they come to me with a dissertation idea, we work back to a lab-based project because they need to build the skill set to be able to go work in a lab. If they're thinking about working in a more policy-based, social sciences type environment, and they give me a lab-based project, we actually work it back to, why don't you start planning for what you're going to do when you finish? And that's how we sort of design a lot of these projects. I think that's really good. And and, and it's a really nice way of, of thinking about um, how you do project design with a student. Um, because similarly for me in science communication, very often I'm, I'm going to the student and saying, well, so what do you want to do at the end of this? You know, are you interested in doing a master's in science communication? Are you interested in doing something that has to do with science communication? Or are you doing this kind of dissertation because you're interested more in that particular science area, but you want to do something that's not lab-based? And, you know, so it is, I think, very much about that, where the student is coming from. And, and Brody, I'm interested as an undergraduate, how much you already had an idea of what you wanted to do, because that's often one of the really challenging questions as a student might sort of say, well, I like lab work or I, you know, I like this particular um, area, but I don't really know what I want to do. Those two points actually link up nicely on what do you want to do and design and a research question. I think they're both areas as a student, I found that I had a good idea of like the overarching thing that I wanted to do or what I wanted to look at. But actually, it's really hard when you haven't got career experience to try and narrow that down into a more specific, you know, research project or a specific role that you want to have. As a student, I wouldn't have even known my current job role exists, but I knew and what I explained to Manuel that as I wanted to work in some sort of public health and ideally a more global health role, so maybe less sort of UK centric. And I wanted a job that would allow me to work in sort of health protection and promotion, infectious diseases. I had a a very good idea of the area, but I had no idea about, you know, how to get there or the specific job roles or any of the, you know, the smaller and the I suppose the more important things to think about. So actually, I think an important part of a lecturer's or a um, supervisor's role is helping to narrow down that large scale focus into, okay, I get you're interested in this. Here's a few things that you could look at in a bit more detail and sort of develop skills around, um, which, yeah, I think come, I think you're able to give that expertise because you've had experience and you've worked in industries and, and worked in, you know, quite often public and private. So it's it's mixing the passion and the motivation with the <laughs> the expertise and the experience and trying to mold something together that works and i'd certainly say that actually from our perspective as, as lecturers that's actually using our research skills because we're in a sense researching you right we're 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 trying to understand <laughs> the the person and say okay you know i obviously it needs to be within my area of expertise but uh, you know how can i understand that person in a way that I can help them to think through what might be career options um, and so forth. And and Emmanuel, do you find that um, when you're doing both undergraduate and postgraduate, which I know you do supervise both, um, are there differences there in the way you would handle that? There are differences. Um, 
think when you're working with an undergraduate student, a lot of the time you find undergraduate students, and I'll say more more in the UK, uh, there's just they're just not fully aware of the value of the project. They know they've got a dissertation to do. Sometimes it's seen as another another module, but actually the value of the project is where I think there's still that gap, which is why when you see students who do internships, by the time they come from a summer internship into doing a final year project, they're a bit ahead because they have an idea what research is like. Um, when you deal with master students, depends on the background of the master students as well. So that many of them would have done a project in the past, so they come in with a little bit more experience. With PhD students, it's very different. You typically you might have new PhD uh, students who have just finished an undergraduate degree. You might have people who are experienced, and the conversation is simply, "Why do you want to do this PhD? And how do we design a PhD that a you will be able to finish in three to four years?" And something that has value. For me, the value added is always very important. So even if it's an undergraduate project, is it about getting the skills that you need to go into a sector? Is it about getting the knowledge because you have the skills? All of those things really matter. But I think when you come across undergrad and postgrad, those conversations are still important because for a PhD student, one of the things I always think about is beyond the PhD, what are you trying to get to? Are you thinking of going into policy? Are you thinking of going into academia, industry? How do we design the PhD where we get you into a conference? We get you speaking to industry early on. We get you into business meetings. So all of those are built into the thinking from the start so that the students can also get that utility in terms of thinking, okay, I can start to look for, I can start to think of, and I can start to ask specific questions. If you just design a project and say, right, okay, this is what you need to do in the lab, or this is what you just need to do, go and do the project and write it at the end. I don't think it's really thought about the student. It's just a project. I think that's really um, an interesting insight because I, I think with PhD students, the tendency often is to assume they want to be academics. And, and actually, most of mine have not necessarily wanted to go down that route. There have been other reasons why they've wanted to do uh, postgraduate, study, particularly PhD study. And I think that that can be quite interesting because if you're going into it assuming that they want to be an academic, you are doing one set of training. But actually, if they're wanting to go into policy or they're wanting to go into industry, they need a different set of skills in many ways. Yeah, yeah. I I wasn't someone who was thinking of becoming an academic. In fact, that wasn't even part of my plan. Uh, so I, I think through my process, I was very good at identifying people and identifying mentors and identifying role models. So I was always getting people from different sectors within my space, and I was always asking those questions. So part of what I was doing during my PhD was building the skills if I needed to go into academia, building the skills if I needed to go to industry, building the skills if I needed to do independent work. So all of those things were part of my own plan as a PhD student. So with my supervisor, then it was a case of, right, there's a, this conference going on. So I'm going to do this stuff, which is the academic bit, but I'm going to do this other bit, which is the industry bit, because those two things, it could be you go one way or you go the other way. And those things were always at the fore of my thinking, even during the PhD. And that's the sort of thinking I always like to get my students to have. So with my PhD students, I always tell them, you will have to do an international conference. It's an expectation. With my undergraduate students, Brody could probably remember this, part of the expectation was at the end of the project, then we still had the U.S. student conference, everyone was expected to do the conference. But if you did a good project, then there was also the possibility of an external conference and possibly an international conference. And that's because it's it's not just the research side of it, it's the thinking, it's the, it's the 
opening your mind to seeing the possibilities beyond what your project is in the lab or on paper. And that's that's how I think about it. And I, I yeah, I, I completely agree that allowing students or enabling students to have some of those broader experiences, which is challenging sometimes at, at undergraduate and postgraduate level, just from a cost perspective. It's like, you know, how am I going to fund them to do that? I've, I've been really lucky this year that there's a with the online, one of the benefits of the pandemic is the online conferences, right? Uh, they're cheaper, some of them. And um, so there there have been a few opportunities where we've been able to encourage um, more of our master's level students, but to encourage them to present their research at these conferences. And, and I think that's a, a, a fantastically valuable experience. Brody, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about your, your master's dissertation, because then you're obviously already in public health. So you've focused now at that point around the public health area so I, I think I think the, the conversations flow very nicely from my student experience I definitely as an undergraduate thought that the dissertation was just a big scary module that was worth a lot of credits and you sort of had to get it done however you got it done and actually I didn't realize that um, it, it teaches you a lot of skills it gives you a lot of um, experience to use in an interview when you haven't had a formal job before you can use your project as real world experience of research which I think perhaps maybe in years one and two isn't explained to you that the dissertation really is a chance to to build skills and build experience and ultimately I was I suppose fortunate enough to get a publication out of my uh, undergraduate project so that was really useful for me and then when I came to my master's I sort of knew I wanted to work in public health and actually I I my undergraduate project was um qualitative analysis and I thought you know I really need to build some quantitative skills and actually I want to build on my last project so um, we looked at knowledge attitudes and practices around hand washing and so what Emmanuel helped me do was to piece together a project that allowed me to look at what I was interested in within public health and build a skill set and build some experience in a research area that I hadn't had before so I definitely was although only one year older I think a lot more mature when I came to my postgraduate project because I knew the benefits of a dissertation and what it could lead to and what it could build. I think that's a really valuable message to students because I think sometimes students aren't always strategic. They think, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll take whatever's on offer. But actually you, you sat down and thought, well, this is where I want to go. I've got this experience. What experience am I missing? And I think that's a really nice way to think about that postgraduate level of study. But I think those conversations around being strategic is really important because what you do is you save time. When you're strategic, you save time. Um, and I think you experienced that, Brody, in terms of just working on the project a certain time and all of that. And knowing fully well what you wanted to do early on meant that we could go for ethics because you know what it's like, Emma, when you're still trying to figure out the project. You still got ethics to do. Then by the time you figure out the project, then you've still got to do ethics. That just eats into the time. But knowing what the project was meant to be meant, we could start thinking about going for ethics. We could start contacting because we're doing a survey. It was a survey, the project was a survey in two different countries. So you can imagine you still had to reach people in a different country, identify people within those sort of spaces. Yeah. So that's that's something which I think just being strategic really helps with student projects. And I tell students sometimes, if you already know where you want to work, start engaging with them and think about a project that the organization might find relevant because you can always email them and say, this is what I'm working on. Would this interest you? And, or can you help? 
Absolutely. So there are many organizations that I partner with that actually send me project titles if undergraduate students want to do projects that are related to that. And that's a model which I'm trying to bring in a bit more. We, we do that at postgraduate level um, where we have the, the sort of company or companies, they're, they're normally not companies, they're normally nonprofits. You know, they act as clients in a sense, not exactly commission research, but they they have a project that they need, yeah, that they need done and they provide access to staff they you know so so the i think students find those to be really good projects because of that industry link um and i I do think that really really helps i wonder if if each of you might just give me um a couple of top tips for supervisors so maybe brody from the student's perspective what do you really want from a uh, a supervisor, Emmanuel can close his ears at this point. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think Emmanuel would need to close his ears. We always had a good working relationship. Um, I think honesty is one. Emmanuel is very good at gently telling me when I was maybe going down the wrong path. And not that ever going down the wrong path is a bad thing. It's a learning experience and you learn not to do that again. But I think that honesty to say you know maybe you just need to pull back have a think about what's going to be the best in the situation take a little bit longer to read and to think about things and then move forwards so the honesty to you know push when you need to push but pull back when you need to pull back um i think communication is a huge one um emmanuel is very busy with his roles but he was very good at saying if you need the time find a slot and we'll make the time and we'll have the conversation and actually having that communication channel open sometimes saves a huge amount of time because there was times throughout both my undergraduate and my postgraduate research where it was just a really little thing that I was stuck on. But I'd spent, you know, an hour in the library spinning around in circles, not being able to solve it. Sometimes that's even a tech issue. And having that communication channel open just to say, am I thinking about this right? Or is that wrong? Or is that right? And just having that quick answer is sometimes more useful than the longer meetings you have, because actually it saves you all of that time and that stress about you know, thinking about things that you've not done before. So strategy, but just pl- careful planning, you know, thinking at the start when the deadline should be and not necessarily the final deadline, but uh, with Emmanuel, we quite often worked on smaller deadlines. So we want to get uh, the methods done by this point or we want to get this much right and done by then. Or, you know, when you're doing research that involves surveys or um, I suppose external influences or external time pressures, you have to sort of work to those a little bit. And actually with we found with my master's project that due to that, we probably had to close the survey a little bit earlier than we would have wanted to if we didn't have those deadlines. Um, and I, you know, we got our ethics in very early, but sometimes, you know, thinking ahead and just that planning and that strategy is really key to making sure that you maximize the most of those very few months that you have. And I'd say that's probably the hardest part about researching as a student in comparison to researching as like a, an early career professional is you have a lot more time pressures. It, it sounds silly that you would have more time pressures as a student, but actually you only have so many months in the academic year. And if you can't get it done in that time, the deadlines are coming. Whereas sometimes now in my professional work, although there is deadlines, there's a lot more room for saying, you know, I think if I just have this bit of extra time, I could get a lot more done or can we cut the project here? Whereas you don't often have that luxury as a student. I think that's a really nice insight of in terms of comparing the student experience versus the work experience because you do have those hard deadlines absolutely hard deadlines as a student there is no give less true for the phd students but certainly at undergraduate and postgraduate level that's the deadline and you're right in every other walk of life 
you would be able to negotiate that deadline if you said, you know what, for this project, I need another three weeks with this survey. That would be possible. <laughs> so I think, I, think, I think that's a really interesting insight around um, the pressures on projects that perhaps sometimes supervisors don't always actually appreciate. Emmanuel, what would your top tips be? I think the one which for me is always important is what is our culture of expectation for the student? If I don't expect much from the student, why should the student expect much from the project? And that for me is all for me. Exactly. And that for me is the most important thing. And that's the reason why we need to talk about the student's journey, the student's career, the student's future. Um, and having experienced um, the, the power of what projects can do, uh, I ended up doing microbiology because of my undergraduate project. Um, not because it was the best experience, but because I was forced to actually challenge myself and challenge my supervisor then in the way that I thought it should have been. But then I, it made me think, actually, if a student gets the experience of knowing the value of the project early on, they actually are more valuable to that space than you might even recognize. So for me, I think it's been having expectations. As students, if you don't have expectations for students, you're telling them you don't see value in the work or you don't think it's important. So they're not going to think it's that important anyway. It's just another module. It's just another course. I think it's helping students understand the kind of skill sets that they need when they're doing a final year project. One of the things we haven't talked about is we had regular um, catch-ups. Uh, even though we met one-to-ones, as a, we met as a group. All the undergraduate students within the group, they met. And with that, they were developing other skills, confidence being one of those, presenting skills, um, analyzing analysis of their work, because every couple of weeks, they had to present their work, like if they were doing a PhD. And every two weeks, they had to present the stage they'd got to in the research. And that sort of helps people think about planning their work and being strategic in terms of what do I need to do between this week and the next week? And this is something which I had as a PhD student and as a master's student. Just having those regular meetings where you sit down and say, what have you done in the last week? What have you done in the last couple of weeks? Uh, you find if you sometimes because of other pressures, students will find themselves in a situation where they can tell you, oh, yeah, I've been doing this and I've been doing this and I've been doing this. But you need to see the evidence. And for me, it's really about evidence gathering on a regular basis. And I think that's one of the things which see if supervisors actually had that model working, uh, you find you get more out of the project. Um, the other thing I would say would be uh, being there for the student, just as Brody talked about the communication. So sometimes I would send this nudge of an email. I haven't heard from you guys. Is everything okay? Are you doing what we've discussed? Those are intentional because it's meant to just remind them that there's still a project going on. There might be other things going on. It's to just keep the focus back on the project. And those emails tend to go out. Sometimes you might find students who just disappear for a few weeks. So they get those emails. And sometimes it's just the, let me know if you need any help. I'm here just in case. And I think that just helps students know they're being supported. You're, you're thinking about their experience. You're thinking about them and you want to make sure they're okay. But it's being ambitious for the students as well. I think that's the, for me, one of the key things, being ambitious. With every single project student I have, we talk about what the potential is from the project. If you do this project, this is the potential outcome. And the potential outcomes could be you get knowledge. The potential outcome could be your classification, although as Brody can attest to this, I rarely talk about grades. 
that's one thing I already talk about because the skills you gain from the project, the knowledge you gain from the project, what you can do with the project will, is most likely going to surpass whatever grade you get anyway. So that for me is secondary. The, the, the ability the students pick up from that is, is much more important. Um, so we talk about conferences and I discuss papers with them. So I show them examples. So if you look at the dissertation module, Brody's paper is on there. If you look at the experimental module, Quang's paper, another student is on there. And these are two of the examples that are used for students that are that published directly from the undergraduate projects. And it's showing them those examples to know it's not really about publishing papers, but this is this is what you can get if you apply yourself in this environment. So I think just being ambitious for the students as well is useful. I really like that idea of ambition. Um, and it did pick up the one other thing that I really wanted to to get onto is kind of what's in it in some ways, what's in it for the supervisor, because we've talked a lot about the students at this point. But being ambitious around the potential for publications, I think it's a real motivator. And I also would talk to my students about, well, you know, this this project has potential, you know, uh, and particularly not all projects do, because sometimes they, they go down. Some of my projects end up being quite creative and, and those are not so easy to publish although I have got one whose project went on Spotify which was pretty cool so there's different ways of thinking through um, what that might be um, and with creative projects it could be some other kinds of uh, of outputs but thinking about those outputs you know what's coming out of this project is it is it something of use to somebody in practice in my area that would be a, a big that would be one of the outcomes that we might be looking for is it publishable in a journal is it um, you know, are you going to create something that um, might actually act as a piece of public engagement? Um, so the, I think f- from that perspective, thinking through those sorts of ambitions, they're motivating for the student. But I think they're also motivating for staff. Probably full disclosure, when Emmanuel sort of said, you know, we can publish this project, I was like, no, he's crazy. <laughs> no one's going to want to read my work. I thought I'm just an undergraduate student. I, I didn't realise that actually if, if work is everyone has to start somewhere and if the work is done well it's done properly and and you take care of it at every stage and do the best you can of course it's publishable and even if it's not publishable it can be presented at conferences you know it can it can be used in in all aspects even just uh learning from the project process of podcasts like this or i did a presentation for lecturers on the benefits of you know desk-based research and there's so many benefits that can even be learned from the learning process. I think probably almost, which gives me more pride than the publication that Emmanuel and I got on its own is the fact that it was then cited in a piece of CDC, in a CDC report on science communication. And I, the, the fact that your research can not only be published, but people will then cite your research, I think is almost more exciting. And I didn't realize that that would be the exciting part is that when you get a publication, whether that's, you know, a formal peer reviewed publication or you present at a conference, actually that adds to the evidence base and is, you know, leads on to further research, not only for yourself, but for other people, whether they're professionals or students, people will read that work and that will make an impact on their work there forward. Um, so yeah, I would say aim, aim as high as you can as a student, because even if you maybe don't get a publication, actually you'll learn the skills along the way and even learning how to publish is a huge skill not 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 a skill I enjoy using often (laughs) it's a tiresome process trying to publish but actually it's really important even you know if it wasn't accepted learning that process of how to apply and where the money comes from and you know how to write all the the complimentary 
writing that goes alongside it. I've certainly found that students can find that process somewhat terrifying at times. Uh, but with, with good support, you know, we get through it. Yeah. I think the, the publishing bit is, I've looked at it from in different ways. There's always a question that we can ask and there's always a question that we can answer. And it's not, it's not always as hard as it looks to ask a question and find an answer for it. We're, the three of us are having a conversation here. It's going to be on SoundCloud. So a student could actually do a project on anything that 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 is that deserves an answer and it's really getting the students to start to think about it in that way and the publication bit for me is it's not the icing on the cake it's the we might not have enough time to do all of this as Brody knows we're actually sitting on a second paper at the moment which we're supposed to be from her master's project because of the quality of the work but the problem we have is time but within that sort of space as Brody alluded to this, it's about doing the work correctly. Um, one of the things we did was find uh, the the textbook on systematic reviews for health, I think. And it was going through it chapter by chapter. So we were working systematically in the sense that you're not going to read the next chapter until you understand the first chapter. When you understand the first chapter, do what it says on this bit, get the question right. Then do this, the picos right. Then do the searching right. And that's what I've done with every student. So I always make sure they have that textbook and another new textbook that has come through. And we have those discussions because once the, if it's a systematic review, once the student gets the methods right, even if the student leaves the university, we still stay in communication, we actually write the paper. So we've got several papers that are actually sitting now waiting to be written because the students have followed the systems and the methods right. With the lab-based projects, I always get my students to do, they would write the methods themselves. I wouldn't give them the methods to do. So it's still part of that robust method design and then they would have to do the number of repeats that are needed for that area. So that when they get through all of that, even if they leave the university, we already have a research group. So the research group is still current, past, and future. So that work can be managed by anybody else who is within that space. Even if the, even if the student is coming a year ahead or two years ahead, the quality work has already been set up. And that's the model which we use. So I think on a, an annual basis, maybe just this year, not, none has gone out just yet. We've now had publications from the space from undergraduate students every year because of that model. So I think it's something which I'm hoping to roll out a bit wider by next year uh, because we've just done a project uh, evaluating the success of this model recently because actually there's so much quality that we can see now. And the students know that they have the quality. I think for me, the joy in this is having students come into me and putting me under pressure because that's, that's what I face right now. So I have students who come in and say, right, I heard Brody published last year. I want to publish, but we don't know what your project is yet. I don't care. Whatever my project is, I want to publish. I was like, right, okay. So we now need to design a project for you that has that level of quality that can go here. And that's actually what I face on, a, on an annual basis. That's the ambition that I talk about. But also the students now see to something which is possible. But what I also do in the year, I think Brody might also remember this, is there's a conference I go to in the US, the American Biomedical Research Conference for Minority Students. These are undergraduate students, all at a conference, about three, 4,000 of them. Many of them already have their own papers. So when you're speaking to them on research, they're, they're quoting their own papers. So when I come back, I actually present it to the students. So I give them examples of this paper, examples of the posters, and, ex and the experience that I've got from interacting with other students as an incentive to think about what that bigger picture looks like with potential competitors in a global in a global space. And that has worked a treat because my students look at that and say, right, that's the standard. 
that's where we need to be and they start working towards that. And I think that sort of setting the bar is really a lot of it, isn't it? It's about helping students to understand what the standard is. Um, and once they've understood that, students can rise to that challenge. It's not, you know, it's not, the bar is not, you know, so high that it's it's not reachable. And, and I think that is one of the joys of, of research at, at both undergraduate and postgraduate level. It is that, you know, it's perfectly possible to produce really high quality work with excellent uh, output. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll give you an example, actually. Last year, one of my most recent students as well approached me and said, right, we finished working on one paper. We've got one paper in. I think it's time to work on the next paper, but I think we need to get the group to write the paper. So I have six students who have fin- who finished between 2019 and last year, who actually this year. So some were still first year going into second year who have actually pulled together a review paper. So right now we're just waiting on two academics to put their own slant into it and get a paper out. But that was actually driven by the students themselves to say, well, we can do this because we already have experience. We've seen this happen. We've seen the other students do this. So why don't we do this? And that's what that's one of the positives of actually being in a space like that and actually getting the students to see that level of ambition. Because now they, they're the ones who ask for it and they're the ones who actually lead it. So have a student leading a paper with seven other people, which in itself is incredible. Yeah, that's fantastic. Really fantastic mm. to hear that. Emmanuel, I said earlier about we had fortnightly sort of group meetings. The benefits of vocalising your research are, you can't even explain how useful that process is because writing is a skill that's a very hard skill, but sometimes when you spend so long writing a project, and it's quite an insular process sometimes, especially with dissertations when you're the only person on that research other than your supervisor. It's very insular. You know, you're, you're, you're reading a lot, you're writing a lot. Sometimes when someone then asks you a question, you're like, I actually don't know how to explain what I've been reading and writing about for the past few months. So having that regular contact, not only with your supervisor, but with other students that are also, you know, researching at that time. And it doesn't have... We, we had a very mixed group of students in terms of lab projects, desk projects, projects on very different topics, but sitting down and vocalizing your project to other people and actually listening to how they explain their research and what they're doing is is so useful. And one not only builds confidence in just general public speaking, which is necessary in most career paths, but being able to take your work from black and white information on a screen or on paper and then being able to explain that eloquently to a group of people who are lay maybe in that topic area is a skill that you know you you can't explain it's not a skill that you can put on pen and paper and say I've done this course or I've done that or I have this qualification but that skill of being able to vocalize your work is one that I'm very glad that I got the opportunity to build Um, say to any supervisor if they can build that into the way they approach the dissertations then it will definitely I think the, the benefits will come from it I think that might be a really nice point to end on actually because I think that's a, a really clear message um, for supervisors um, thinking about how can you actually enable those students to force those students <laughs> if you like to uh, to present their research back not just to you but to each other with that, I'd really like to thank both Emmanuel and Brody for your time and for being willing to talk to us about 
your research experiences. Thank you for listening. I hope you've really enjoyed this episode and also the whole series that we've done of five episodes on research-informed teaching. If you've been inspired by this or you've got other examples you'd like to share, we'd be very open to more suggestions and taking this further. Um, Please do contact me. I'm Catherine Hobbs at ue.ac.uk. Um, And we'd be very excited to hear from other people who'd like to record a future episode. Thank you very much.